Tales from Mortimer Poe. Mortimer Poe, the half-dead raven, is a distant cousin to Hunan and Munin, the ravens that bring tales of the world to Odin. But Mortimer, born outside the window of Edgar Allan Poe, only brings tales of worlds that aren't real to the ears of those who want to explore alternate realms of possibility. Today, Mortimer brings you the tale of Hell is Where the Heart Is. Even death didn't save me from him. I heard his voice repeating my name in a monotone chant. I killed myself. I knew I did. I remembered my limbs turning to lead as darkness crept over me. Until there was nothing? I died, right? But I doubted as my eyes opened. My eyes slowly focused to see my bedroom ceiling. Yellow curtains fluttered over me, the vivid color muted and dull. My soft, cool sheets only lightly pressed against my back, despite the heaviness pinning my arms and legs down. Noises penetrated my ears, but I couldn't sort out the sounds to make sense of them. The only thing I felt strongly was the bitter taste of herbs and earth on my mouth. She back? My mother's voice coalesced into meaning. Yes, I can feel her soul. God gave it to me. No, I'm dead, I sobbed silently. Dead. Even his God would not be so cruel as to send me back to him after I died to escape. Does that mean we can still save her? My mother asked. Her voice trembled in a perfect parody of motherly hope. If I hadn't known better, it would have sounded like she cared about the state of my eternal soul. But her concern was for his approval, not my soul. She asked because that's what she thought he wanted her to do. David's head leaned into my field of vision. I tried to turn away, to look at my mother, do something, but none of my muscles even twitched. His eyes stared straight down into mine, bright, intelligent, full of conviction, and utterly insane. I could never remember what color they were because the shine of his mania always mesmerized me. I saw an interview with Charles Manson once. He had eyes like David's. He vanished from my line of sight and sighed. No, Mary, he said gently. She doomed her soul when she killed herself. She'll never be saved. But you brought her back. She gets another chance, right? My mother's voice oozed crocodile tears. From where I lay, it sounded like a wooden play where the actors recited their lines but didn't really feel them. God allowed us to have her soul back because we need her to complete his work. But she's still dead. See? Pressure settled across my chest. My mother's hand, I realized, as he laid it on my heart. I noticed then that I couldn't feel my heart beating. When I tried to take a deep breath, nothing moved. But what worried me was that I didn't feel a need to breathe. I felt nothing. I really was dead. I succeeded. And David brought me back. I wanted to cry, to scream, to run from them as I had not been able to do in life. I could do less now. I couldn't even shut my eyes. They were fixed upward at the smudge of a badly patched crack in my bedroom ceiling. Curtains flicked into my peripheral vision. I waited for my body to do something, for my breath to quicken or my stomach to twist in fear like it had so many nights when I lay in this room. I never thought I'd want to feel that again. David trapped me in my own body, unable to even feel my emotions through it. 
Why would she do this? My mother wept. Why? Demons, David said, whispering in her ear. She kept inviting them back into her heart by denying me. But she'll still serve God's purpose, even in her rebellion. Demons? No. That voice in my head was the voice of reason. But what good did reason do me, trapped in his mad orbit? I'd be damned if I believe it was God's will that pulled me out of my grave. Damned! <laughs> I was already that. I would have snorted if I could have. A heavy whiff of clove and seaweed reached my nose, mirroring the bitter earthen taste on my tongue. Come, he said. Let's take her downstairs. He leaned over me and said, Sit up. His voice seeped into me, liquid, soaking my entire being with his will. My muscles moved. They had been waiting for his command, and when he gave it, my body obeyed. I tried to stop, to lay still, to make my body do anything other than what he commanded. But I rose, and my eyes saw a stripped-down version of my bedroom. He'd removed all my posters, my books. My dresser top lay bare. I was sure David gave away my things away as a posthumous punishment for my defection. Stand on the floor next to the bed, he said. I stood, my movements slow and careful, because I could barely feel myself moving. My bare toes touched the hard wooden floor, and I laid the rest of the foot on the cold surface gently. Next, the other foot moved over the side of the bed. The weight of the limb brought my foot crashing down. I registered the thump as a sort of hard pressure, but the spot where my heel struck wood only felt the cold, not the sting. Everything was so cold, yet the cold didn't bother me much. The cold was more like something that was, not something I felt. I had been frightened before. Now I was terrified. Panic rose without an outlet in my head. What had David done to me? With my feet on the floor, my body remembered the tricky act of balancing required to stand. David stood across from me with his feet planted, shoulder-width apart, a deceptively casual pose that looked more like a military stance, with his back stick straight and arms held clasped one in another behind his back. My mother shifted to stand next to him, everything about her shrinking as if to confine herself to his shadow. Her dingy white t-shirt hung shapeless off the fullest part of her stomach, her pot belly quivering with her nervous breathing. Pale skin peeked over the low-slung waistband of her jeans and brought the unflattering ensemble into stark relief. She had not even dressed up for my resurrection. She stepped backwards so she would be slightly behind him. I noticed in the days before my demise, she would never walk even with him. It was how I knew nothing would save me. The world shrank in his presence. Only I defied him, and I had to die to do it. Now, even that defiance was gone. Try to move, I thought to myself. Just an eye blink, a little movement. I strained in my head, but my eyes remained open, unblinking. I could see his eyes now, sparkling with madness. I was drawn to them despite myself. The first time I ever met him, I had seen that challenge in his eyes. In that first second, I knew he wanted to dominate me, and I did not want to let him. 
Civilization does not put enough credence into first impressions. They like to make you think you can't tell anything by the very first glance. But I knew we were enemies, and I let my mother trick me into believing my first impression was wrong. He was a man of God, my friends said, a prophet who knew what would happen to all of us. Follow, he said to me, the maniacal light in his eyes shining brighter now that he had me under his power. David led me down the hall to the basement stairs. Long ago, he'd converted my mother's spacious basement space into a gathering area, lacking only an altar to make it a church in its own right. I'd suspected he planned on converting the house into a church officially. He already thought the government was being primed for the leadership of the Antichrist. Keeping the IRS out of our business would be a first step towards defeating that enemy. Get off the government books and there's no trail for them to follow back to us once we were off the grid. After all, they arrested Capone for tax evasion. David had learned his lessons well. I thought it was telling so many of his lessons were learned from criminals instead of the Bible. Whatever happened to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's? Didn't seem that David wanted to give Caesar his due. My feet landed heavily on each step as we descended. His command pulled me down them one by one. My mother followed behind me. I wasn't sure why I was here. If I couldn't do anything but what he told me to do, what value could I have? My body betrayed me again. I could neither sob nor sigh as he compelled me into the heart of his power. Dingy tan carpet rubbed the bottoms of my bare feet as I stepped off the last stair. In life, it bothered my feet so much I always wore socks down here. Now, I only felt the give of the padding underneath. In my mouth, the bitter tang strengthened as David commanded me to stop. The room was filled with his followers. I saw Jennifer in the front row. She'd been my friend first, before she even knew David existed. Since I'd introduced them, she spent most of her time with David. I heard rumors she'd been sneaking into David's bedroom at night. My mother heard them too, and even though she would have gladly gone to David's bed herself, he'd told her intercourse outside the marriage was a sin. Of course, he was self-named for the king, most famous for violating his marriage vow. Jennifer looked up at David in rapture, then over at me in smug satisfaction. No crocodile tears from her. His disciples gasped as they saw me. David waved them all to the folding chairs laid out like pews in front of the buffet table. He murmured to me to follow him as he moved to stand in front of them. Stop, he said, and I stopped to his left, just slightly behind him. My mother took up her usual position, to his right and behind. Glancing over at me, she stepped forward so she was closer to him. I wanted to tell her I wasn't competing with her, but of course I couldn't say anything. Not that it would have mattered anyway. For once, the disciples' eyes were all on me, not him. What's this? Jeremy asked. His name was Jeremy, even if he wanted everyone to call him Saul now. A miracle for you to witness, David's voice preened. No, oh no. A mental chill stole over me. He'd said it himself. Visions. To be a true prophet, his visions had to come true, each and every one. He'd had visions of me. Stupid, I thought if I died, everyone would see that his visions could no longer be true. Instead, he found another way, like a wish in reverse. 
Was I his Lazarus now, a deed to prove he was the equal of the Savior? Jeremy, however, didn't look like he thought my resurrection was a miracle. He came over to me, close enough for a good look, but not close enough to touch. As Jeremy stared, I got a good look at his face. I could see my current condition repulsed him, despite the scathing things he'd said before my death. How is this a miracle? he asked. Jeremy was always nice, I thought, but just a little stupid. God has used me as an instrument to return to us something we will need for our work on his behalf, David said. Jeremy turned away from me to look at David. You brought her back from the dead? God brought her back from the dead because we need her. He has given her to me as a tool to complete my work here on earth. She tried to stop me, but she could not thwart the will of God. I heard Jennifer behind them shout, Amen, as if David were a preacher that had just given the sermon of a lifetime. Jeremy's lips jerked and cheeks twitched as he went over his internal debate. Jeremy told me, before, that he never felt a need to reconcile the inconsistencies in David's doctrine, but it looked like he felt that need now. She is like Lazarus, pulled from the grave at the decree of Jesus, David said. But because of her sin, she can't be trusted, so God has provided her as a miracle that you all might believe in my message. Jesus never used his resurrection of Lazarus to glorify himself, Jeremy said. This, he thumped my chest with his hand, isn't a miracle. It's the work of the devil. With this touch, I started swinging. I didn't have enough control to even correct my stance without David's command, so I fell backward. David put out an arm behind me to stop me from reaching the floor. Stand her up, he said, his eyes darting off to the side. My mother came over and struggled to put me back on my feet again. Go over to the corner, David snapped at me once I was balanced again. His strange magic compelled me and I began to move in a slow, shuffling step. David continued his argument with Jeremy, not watching to see if I obeyed. I stopped listening to the meow. Go to the corner could have several meanings. I directed my movement to the one furthest from David. My steps veered toward the corner behind the buffet table. The tabletop was still laden with the leftovers of lunch, or dinner, or whatever meal it had been before he brought me down. My slow steps gave me time to look at the food. They always served simple fare since my mother, the only one with a job, had to pay to feed nearly 15 people. David manipulated that to seem a virtue as well, making biblical food from scratch that tasted so bad you had to drown it in salt to choke it down. He even put the salt in little bowls instead of shakers to look more like the way Jesus and his disciples would have eaten at their table. For the first time since my resurrection, hope blossomed in me. Now I understood how David had brought me back. I might even know how to undo what he had done. You hypocrite, I thought, chastising me for watching horror movies on TV while you perform voodoo magic. David's argument with Jeremy got louder. I kept walking. The table was right there between me and the corner of the room. I couldn't disobey David's commands, and I couldn't do anything he hadn't commanded me to do. But perhaps his own hubris would let me escape. He told me to go to the corner. A few more steps... He just needed to keep looking away a few more steps. I shambled on, thankful now that I couldn't make a sound. I stumbled into the table, hard. 
Since I had been obeying his orders, I managed a little extra effort, a slight extra speed. The place settings jingled mutely. Wine glasses rocked on their wide bases, the thin stems leaning before the bowls crashed into the varnished wood. Silverware scattered. I threw myself into another step, walking as he had commanded, throwing the table into disarray. My ruined eyes caught a path of salt. I heard voices behind me shouting. Quickly, I had to do this quickly. I pushed my right leg again, allowing my hand to swing forward in time with the step and brush over the edge of the table. Stop! David commanded me. Please, God, I prayed. Please, let it be enough. In some stories, a zombie had to eat the salt for the spell to be broken. My hand dragged through the white grain spilled on the varnished wood. If God had any mercy at all, he'd release me to serve that eternity in hell, David promised me. I stopped moving, listening to the vibrating silence surrounding me while the disciples stared at the mess I had made. In the space between heartbeats, I realized they weren't staring at the table, but at me. I fell in slow motion. The blurry faces rose upward as my legs crumpled. I felt the familiar sensations of death creeping over me. The faces receded into darkness, and for a moment, I felt as if I were falling into a great, dark hole. The voices of David and his disciples cut out with the abruptness of a slammed door. It worked, I thought. <coughs> Mortimer's Tale, Hell is Where the Heart Is, was written by Erica Kaler. Mortimer's narrator for this tale was Jenny Marlette. This tale first appeared in Night to Dawn magazine issue 29, available on Amazon.com. Sound effects were sourced from freesoundslibrary.com.